Welcome back to the Sailing in the Mediterranean podcast. This week it's going to be a quick and easy podcast to do because I'm just going to try to answer some questions that some of my listeners have sent me. Now, I have to say that this really makes it fun. I'm getting feedback from listeners. I'll try to answer your questions. I'm not an expert, and maybe you can help me find some experts that we can talk to and interview to help answer some of your questions along the way. But I got three emails from three listeners. I'm going to read them, and we'll go from there. First one is from Paul. He said, uh, Jules and I love your cast. We come from Australia. We're thinking of buying a boat in the Med. We are wondering, in your experience, how much of the ask price we should expect to pay. We are especially interested in considering the financial state of the Eurozone. Eventually, we are planning to leave the Med via the Straits of Gibraltar across the Atlantic, through the Caribbean, out the Panama, across the Pacific, and home to Australia. We may detour via New Zealand... We have been planning now for two years and figure the end of this year, early 2013, will be the time to go. We are aware entering the Med in February means it's going to be reasonably cold. This will make dealing with brokers and vendors. Will this make dealing with brokers and vendors more difficult? Any thoughts you would have to brighten our day and help our retirement? You will look forward to your next cast. Cheers from hot and sunny Australia. Well, first of all, I got to say, I've never met an Australian that I just didn't like. They're just fun people. They're happy people. They get along well. And the nice thing about reading a story like this or a question like this is it it reminds me of some of the stories that I can now uh, talk about. I was in Alicante quite a while ago, maybe 10, 15 years ago. Uh, It was two years after I sailed across the Atlantic. So this was... uh, So I sailed across the Atlantic in 97. I didn't go back in 98. So this is 1999. I had a couple of my friends. uh, We put the boat in the water. Uh, We wintered the boat in Santa Pola, Spain, which is just a little south of Alicante. And we sailed up to Alicante to wait for a weather window to head over to the Balearics. And two Australian women came up and said, hey, we want to go to the Balearics. Can you give us a ride on your boat? And they had walked down to Alicante from Barcelona. They were on an Australian walkabout. And my boat's a pretty small boat. I don't really like having more than uh, three people on board, except if it's family. And uh, so I said, no, I'm sorry. I really don't have the room for you, but good luck. And when I got out to Palma, Mallorca, guess who was walking along the dock? These two girls had gotten a ride on on another boat. Now, I had... I visited Australia the winter before this. We went down there for Christmas. My daughter, uh, her husband, was working for a company, and he was headquartered in Perth. And I wasn't that uh, anxious to go to Australia. I'd heard wonderful things about it. And Bill Bryson wrote a great book on Australia uh, called In a Sunburned Country. And I really enjoy Bill Bryson. He's a good writer. I recommend the book highly if you want to laugh while you're reading. But anyway, so I I hadn't been to Australia. It wasn't really high on my priority list. I saw pictures of Perth, and to me it looked like, uh, well, basically like San Diego. And it everybody speaks English, so it's easy to travel. And because it's not really a challenge, it really wasn't that high up on my list of places to visit. 
Well, I changed my mind entirely. I absolutely love Australia. I think the people are great. Uh, we spent uh, a couple weeks there, and we did a lot of driving around while we were there. We drove south to the southern coast, and then we drove north. And to me, southern it's, Australia is just like southern California was about 100 years ago. Uh, if you drive south, you go through a wine region, then it cools out down, and then you get to these huge, huge tingle tree forests, which uh, are very similar to the redwood forests if you go north in California, except they're a totally different species, but they're huge trees, equally as, well, maybe not quite as large, but very big, tall, wonderful, majestic trees. And if you go north, it turns into a desert, just like you were going south in uh, in California. I, I loved Australia. I really like the fact that you can get all those great diesel vehicles that are not allowed in America. My, I have a Toyota Land Cruiser that gets about 14 miles to the gallon on a good day. And I talked to people in Australia that were driving around Land Cruisers, and they'd get 30, 40 miles. Uh, but, of course, they were diesel engines, not the uh, lousy gasoline engines. And so they were much more efficient but our EPA doesn't allow them into the United States for some reason that I can't understand. But anyway, let's try to answer your questions. First of all, um, I have never bought a boat. Uh, my boat I built. I bought the Holland Deck from Sam Moore's company in Costa Mesa, California, and then I spent five years building my boat. Uh, but I did... I did uh, Years ago, we were sailing, and we stopped at an island in Greece called Trezona. And I have a couple videos up of Trezona that I took um, last summer, in fact. One of my favorite little islands. You don't run into to, uh, charter sailors there. They're usually cruising sailors. The harbor's free, uh, but it's deteriorating because nobody's responsible for it. And it'd probably be better if somebody started charging the sailors a little bit to use a harbor and actually maintain it. But that's another story, and I'm not going to get into that. But the uh, late, great Peter Blake, great racing sailor that was killed uh, in the Amazon, was murdered in the Amazon, his uh, friends were taking his boat uh, to be sold, and they were... Taking, I, I guess they'd been sailing around a little bit because I think they were on their way back. This is sort of the last hurrah on this boat before they had to sell the boat. And they were taking it to Palma, Mallorca to sell the boat. And so Palma, Mallorca is a big, big port. It's a charter base for a lot of charter sailing boats. Um, probably I would say of every place I've been in the Mediterranean, that would be where I would start looking to buy a boat, would be in Palma, Mallorca. Now, I don't know any yacht brokers. I would like uh, any of our listeners that know yacht brokers that could talk to us, do a, do a podcast for us. I'd love to have them come and talk to me. We can do an interview via Skype. I can ask questions. And I have some real specific questions I'd like to ask and for me, and this is selfish, because I think I've told you the issue on taxation in the Mediterranean for foreign boats. My boat's an American boat. It's documented and registered as a U.S. vessel. So if I live 
in Europe, or if I keep the boat in Europe for more than 24 months, then technically I have to pay VAT tax. Now, I know there's been sailors that have um, sailed in the Mediterranean for years and years and years and never had to worry about the VAT tax, but I understand if I want to sail in France in particular that it becomes very sticky if you don't have the uh, have, have the documents that show that VAT is paid. Now, when I went over to Europe in 97, the rules were that I could leave the boat in the, in the Euro waters, European waters, ECU waters, for 24 months. But when I left the boat and put in customs bond, that time didn't count against me. So with that, I would go over and go sailing for a couple months every summer and then come back. And I was never really going to worry about running out of that two-month period because that would really give me basically, oh, I don't know, 10 years of sailing in the Mediterranean before I'd really have to worry about it. Then finally I sailed and wintered the boat in Malta when Malta was not part of the EU, and then that clock started over again. Well, they changed the rules so that it doesn't matter whether I'm on the boat or not or whether the boat's in customs bond or not. Uh, as I understand the rules, uh, just if my boat is in the EU for more than 24 months, that I've got to pay VAT tax. Well, there's a whole part of the EU, uh, the Mediterranean and the EU in general, that I'd like to explore, and I can't do it. And I've asked lawyers to tell me how to go about paying the VAT tax, and I've never got a good answer. I've searched the web trying to find out how I would go about paying the VAT tax. Now, I don't want to go into a country and then get a bid on VAT that I can't afford to pay. So I want to know, I want it to be transparent what it's going to cost me, and I cannot find anything that will tell me that. The rules they write are obscure and opaque it's not an easy process. So if you do buy a boat in the Mediterranean, you're going to have the opportunity to buy a boat VAT paid or VAT unpaid. And the price of the boat is going to be determined accordingly. Now, if you're only going to be two years sailing around, there's no reason you would want to buy a VAT paid boat. Because in Europe, as I understand it, uh, once you paid VAT on the boat, that boat is good to go. And no matter how many times you sell it or buy it, that boat, the VAT tax follows the boat, not the buyer or the individual. So you'll buy a boat either VAT paid or VAT not paid. That's about all I can help you with on that question. Uh, I envy your adventure. I envy your dreams. That's what it's all about. Oh, by the way, I did a post today. I just uploaded a a picture of my new t-shirt design. Take a look at it. If you have any comments, uh, give me a comment or two. And I have a quote there that inspired me a long time ago that goes with it. Now, when you sail back across the Atlantic, there's there's a, a man that lives up in Canada. His name's Herb Hildebrand. And I'm not sure exactly what frequency he's on, but he's on one of the marine high frequency frequencies and every day twice a day he'll get on the radio and if you've got your radio tuned to that you can talk to him he wants your current barometric pressure your current conditions your location 
and t- and then he'll want to know why where you're going and he will tell you when you have weather windows and when you don't now when i sailed across the atlantic in 97 i had my backstay antenna i am a ham radio operator and i had my backstay antenna tuned to 20 meters the ham band 20 meter band so i could listen to herb uh, and his call sign is southbound two I could listen to him, but I couldn't talk to him. I had too much of a mismatch on transmitting on the marine frequency. I could transmit on the 20-meter handband frequency, but I couldn't transmit on the the marine band frequency. So I was able to listen to him, and had I been able to talk to him, I would have changed my route. The people that went south to Bermuda, I left from Hampton, Virginia, and the people that sailed south to Bermuda... And then up to the Azores from Bermuda had a great sail, just a wonderful sail. I headed straight across, basically on the 40th parallel, and I just got beat with every low that came off the east coast of America. And I was pretty tired and worn out, and my first crew abandoned me when we got to the Azores, and I didn't blame them. If I didn't have my belt, if it wasn't my boat, I would have quit too. So just a heads up, look up Herb Hildebrand. Southbound 2, just do a Google search, and he'll, it'll pop up. He's got a lot of awards because he's been such a, a, a great public servant for guiding people across the Atlantic, sailors across the Atlantic, giving them uh, weather windows. When I, when I got to the Azores after I'd been beaten for 22 days from the States, beaten up and spit out into the Azores, uh, I waited. I just kept listening to him, and and we waited for about probably about a week, waiting for a weather window. And finally, he came on the radio one day, and he said, "Okay, you boats that are heading to the Mediterranean, you have a weather window. Go ahead and go for it. If you're heading up to England, you better wait some more." And so we took off, and we had a, just a delightful, the perfect sail from the Azores to Portugal. And the people that didn't listen to him and went north uh, got stuck in some pretty nasty, nasty weather. So when you do sail across the Atlantic, make sure you're able to listen to and talk to Herb uh, Herb Hildebrand, Southbound 2. All right. Sorry I can't really help you much with the, uh, uh, with the uh, yacht brokerage question, but I'm just not an expert in it. But let's get somebody on here to talk to us about it. Okay, next question. Hi, Franz. I'm a guy in my mid-40s living in a little harbor town, Dragor, just out Copen- just outside Copenhagen, Denmark. Found your web, Twitter, and podcast accounts about three weeks ago and have had you in my ears around bad time ever since. I just love it. Thank you. Well, thank you. I really appreciate it. Um, my family, uh, most of my family's Danish descent. Interestingly enough, if I go back and search back through my family history, my family is primarily of Danish descent, and my last name uh, is a is is a change from the Danish spelling um, to to more of an American spelling. But uh, my last name is basically a Danish name as well. So last year, my family and I bought a Juno Thirty Two Sun Odyssey. That's probably the best thing we ever did. We we're planning or talking about planning a one-year trip to the med and therefore we ran into your sites the only challenge we have is our jobs house cars and our kids school 
8 and 12 years old. We are a bit uncertain if we should take the canals down Europe, Germany, France, or take the long way around Denmark down the English Channel and past the Bay of Biscay into the Med from the Atlantic, Gibraltar. Bay of Biscay has, have a, has a very bad reputation here in Denmark, not just in Denmark, in the world has a bad reputation. They called it embayed. The English sailors just didn't want to get embayed. I know it's not in your backyard, but do you have some advice or just a comment on which choice to prefer? I'm sure we will find a solution. I told my wife and kids if we sail to the Med, we have to meet up with a nice and very skilled sailor from America called Franz. Well, that'd be great. Just say hello and have a chat. Well, that'd be great. I'd love to meet you. It's part of the reason I do this podcast is to meet new people. If you by any chance lose your navigation or unexpectedly turn the wrong direction and end up near Dragger, let me have the honor to welcome you with a cold Danish beer, Carlsberg, Carlsberg and a hot meal. Well, thanks. If I ever get up that way, I'd love to, and I'd love to get up to Denmark. Like I say, my family's from Denmark, and my great-great-grandfather was a sea captain out of Denmark. So um, I'd, li- I'd like to get there. Um, I'm not likely anytime soon to get up there, but, boys, I'd sure certainly like to get up there at some point in time. Uh, let's see, what else do you say? Um, I guarantee you a friendly Danish style and not a heavy, bureaucratic, and arrogant Croatian style. <laughs> yeah, I do have my opinions on the Croats, don't I? Oh, you like my double anchoring video. Okay, so let me let me talk to you about what I think on, on uh, sailing down. If I were you, I've, I've talked to a lot of people that have done the French canals, and they just absolutely loved it. I would probably choose the going through the French canals and coming out. Uh, I think it comes out in uh, Marseille. Is that where it is? Yeah, I think it does. I have. I need to have a map in front of me when I'm doing these podcasts, and I don't. That would be my choice. Um, if you go out the Atlantic, you're going to get some big waves, and you could have bad weather. Um, and if you really want to come back around and check out – Portugal and Spain. It's easy enough to pop out the Mediterranean, go down the coast of Spain and come out the Straits of Gibraltar and and head up there. Now, if I did that, I I stopped at Lagos, Portugal and Porto Maio, Portugal when I crossed. And both towns are worth visiting, but maybe maybe it's best just to do that by land. It might be easier just to go visit by land. Um, once you come out in in uh, Marseille, France, I'd probably take a right turn and at least get down to Barcelona and probably go down to Alicante and and head out to the Balearics from there. Just thinking, I, a few years ago I was putting my boat up in Ivalik, Turkey, and there were two boats that had just come over, that spent the summer uh, coming over the canals all the way across the continent from Amsterdam. So they'd gone up the continent that left Amsterdam, gone up the Rhine into the canals and then connected to, what's the river? The Danube, the Danube. And then all the way down the Danube into the Black Sea. And then from the Black Sea, of course, they went through the Bosphorus and the Dardanelles and ended up in Ivalik. And 
I talked to the men. Uh, they they seemed to think it was okay, and I talked to the wives, and the wives were stoic. They didn't. I don't think they really enjoyed it that much. But everybody I've talked to that has done the French canals has absolutely loved it. Now, that's one of the reasons I want to pay my VAT, because I want to experience the French canals. I'd love to have a bike on my boat and a couple people on my boat and take turns driving the boat and riding bicycles. I think that would be great. If it were me, that's what I'd do. Um, but I'm not sure how easy it is to get a license now. I think you have to actually get a license to ride a, run a boat on the French canals, and you do have to have a working knowledge of French or at least a navigational knowledge of French, which I don't, but I'm sure I could learn it if I had to. That's all I can do for you on that. Good luck. One other thing, people have these, and this sort of goes back to the first letter, people have these um, desires of sailing around the world in two years, and I guess you could do it. But to me, that's sort of like roller skating through the Louvre. You might want to slow down and take a few more years. Or do what I do. I, I get the best of both worlds. I actually do like my job. I do like my uh, what I do in the winter. I ski in the winter, sail in the summer. I live in a beautiful area, and uh, I I don't have this real desire to, to sail around the world. I would like to get down to Southeast Asia, and maybe at some point in time they'll open up Burma. I look at uh, all those islands off of uh, Myanmar, and that looks like a wonderful cruising area, but I haven't heard of many people that have done it yet. But when I start looking at taking my boat down through the Gulf of Aden, uh, I've talked to a lot of sailors that have come up through there, and without exception, they've all had to fight off pirates along the way. So that doesn't excite me at all. And I looked at shipping my boat down there, and that's about $30,000, and that's beyond my budget at this point in time. So anyway, thanks, Ricky. I appreciate that. Good luck. You gave me your phone number here. Appreciate it. If I'm ever in if I'm ever in Denmark, I'll give you a call. All right, another follow-up from uh, Jay up in up in uh, Newfoundland, and he he corrected how I should say Newfoundland. Basically, it's a follow-up to his previous question, and he asked me about uh, where I buy my sales in the last podcast, and and he was surprised that I had had such longevity with my Neil Pride sales, and he corrected me on how to pronounce Newfoundland. But his question is, I like the traditional style of the BCC, that's my boat, Bristol Channel Cutter, and was considering the similar North Sea 27 aft cockpit as my first boat. Never been aboard one, but my buddy says that they're very sturdy and capable of crossing the oceans. I'll put a few pics in case you're unfamiliar. I didn't see those pictures if you sent them to me. Uh, there's a laid up disused Cape George Cutter 36 nearby I'm making inquiries into and then he asked about a couple other boats but I'll be quite honest I've only had one boat I've sailed on a lot of other boats I've sailed on a lot of various racing boats and cruising boats um, I do like my boat but sometimes it's a little small uh, but it's it's not so small that I'm willing to buy a bigger boat it's easy for me to handle. I know how to handle it. I build it. I know everything inside and out of the boat. 
um, and I build it strong, so I've had very few problems with my boat. Now, I've seen uh, in, in the Mediterranean, you have a lot of what I call Tupperware boats, and these are low-maintenance uh, fiberglass boats that are used in the charter fleet, and, and most most uh, most sailors in the Mediterranean have these um, mass-produced boats, and uh, they are perfect for what they're designed for. don't think I'd want to take one across the ocean, but... Uh, they're fine for that. I did see one laid up in the marina at Marty Marina in Huiney, Turkey, one time that was crushed like an eggshell. It looked like it got between a heavier boat and the dock, and it just split open like a, it looked like a cracked egg. Um, so that's, that's always a concern because uh, they build them light to go fast, but there's always a trade off between uh, heavy and safe and fast. There's no perfect boat. Really, is no perfect boat, and each boat has its has its characteristics that make it good for one particular type of sailing. Like I say, my boat is absolutely terrible to maneuver in tight quarters. So, his final questions: I would ultimately like to sail the Med and the Caribbean. So, do you have any recommendations for a blue water passage maker? Um, I think I've already talked about that. Number one. Uh, choose your route carefully. Number two, listen to Herb on Southbound 2. So I think that'll be it for this podcast. I went in longer than I expected, another 26 minutes. I appreciate you listening. I really appreciate the questions. Let's see if some of our listeners can find me a, a uh, yacht broker that we can interview. And I'd like to talk to an, a maritime attorney that I could interview to ask him specifically about the VAT issues in the European market and how I can sail in the European market and and uh, pay my VAT. Now, my boat's 20 years old, and the nice thing is um, my boat's getting less and less valuable. Boats do not go up in value. So I'm thinking at some point in time I'm willing to pay the VAT because the boat will be, have depreciated to the point where the VAT will not be a big expense. Still, the boat will be very seaworthy because I take good care of it. But maybe the VAT will will not be a big issue. So anyway, I'm going to close it down. I'll try to get this posted today. I appreciate you listening. And, hey, keep sending in those letters. I really, uh, I really like the letters. It gives me material I can talk about. Oh, um, one other note to, to uh, Jules from sunny Australia. If you do uh, make a detour to New Zealand. Do me a favor and stop in and see see Doug Schmuck at Opua. Doug Schmuck owns the uh, Doug's Boatyard in Opua, and yes, that's really his last name, Schmuck. And when I was looking at uh, buying a boat a long, long time ago, I called up Sam Moores at Sam Moores Company in Costa Mesa, California, said I want somebody to take me out for a ride on the boat, and he arranged with Doug to take me out on his boat. And Doug uh, and I became friends. Uh, I still have my anchor I bought from Doug, my boarding ladder I bought from Doug. Doug took his boat and, uh, just like you're talking about, took off for a sail across the Pacific and uh, ended up immigrating to New Zealand, never really came back. I saw He came back to visit one time. His wife wasn't into the dream as much as he was, so they eventually got divorced, and he got a a uh, 
a woman from he eventually married a woman from New Zealand. But he lives down there, and I have friends that have stopped by to see him, and he's always out sailing or delivering a boat or something. So I've never had any contact with him for years. But he's a great guy, wonderful personality. Stop in and say hello to Doug at Doug's Opua Boatyard in the Bay of Islands in uh, the North the North Island in New Zealand. All right, that closes me out. Talk to you later. Bye.